Starting here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, it's talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, it quotes a particular Old Testament verse concerning Jesus. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And it quotes the prophecy here. The virgin, Virgin Mary, of course, will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know that this prophecy was fulfilled with the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now this name for Jesus, Emmanuel, or God with us, didn't just refer to the 33 or so years that Jesus walked this earth. We know that during that time he certainly was with us. But the meaning of this name, God with us, continues to refer to Jesus' close presence in each of our lives. Amen. So when Jesus ascended back up into heaven, that didn't mean the concept of God with us came to an end. In fact, his God with us being is even more intimate and powerful today than it even was back in, in the days that he walked this earth. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been in a wilderness? A wilderness. Now, what do you think of a, when you think of a wilderness? Some of you have. I know my wife and I, several years ago, got the opportunity to travel out to Palm Springs, California. And you may not know that part of California is desert. <laughs> And Palm Springs is a city built in the middle of a desert and in the middle of a wilderness. And as long as you spend the time in the city, in air-conditioned air buildings, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. I really enjoyed the scenery and everything out there. But once you get outside the city, you get into some dangerous territory. Because it's surrounded, Palm Springs is surrounded by desert, wilderness, with temperatures upwards of 115 degrees. It reached that when we were out there, and that is hot. 115 degrees, plenty of rattlesnakes once you get outside of the city, scorpions, poisonous spiders, mountain lions, and all sorts of dangerous animals like that. It is a wilderness that surrounds that city. So a wilderness is a barren place, a dry place, a desolate place where you are wandering and you feel alone. Now I'm not just talking about physical locations, wildernesses that we may have been in, but we're gonna see that certain aspects of our lives can be wilderness areas. The Bible pictures many people from Old Testament to New Testament, wandering through the wilderness and wondering when they were going to get out. And we'll talk about a couple of examples in just a moment. But most of us have spent time wandering in a type of wilderness, a dry, desolate experience in our lives, okay? When we feel alone and troubled. And some of you may be wandering in a wilderness right now in some aspect of your personal life. You can be stuck in a job that you hate, that there's no room for advancement, 
that might be a wilderness to you. Your marriage can be experiencing a lot of difficulties. That can be in a wilderness to you. You can be in a financial wilderness, in deep debt. There could be addiction types of wildernesses that you can be in. Maybe you're retired and you feel like you no longer have a purpose in your life. That can be a wilderness. You can have serious health issues that are not going away. That can certainly be a wilderness area in your life. You know, we have had members in our congregation that were in the COVID wilderness for some time. We have, had, we have members in our congregation who have been in the cancer wilderness and maybe in and out of it as the years go by. Some of our members are in the stroke wilderness where they cannot function as they once did. Some in the Alzheimer's wilderness. See, those are personal wildernesses that we can be in, that we can find ourselves in. And at times like that, you feel alone. You feel like there's no way out. It's a dry, desolate type of place. And it's not just for the person who is suffering maybe one of those physical ailments and trying to deal with it, wondering when it might go away or be healed and they might be relieved from it. It's also a wilderness for the caregivers that look after that person. They can also share in that wilderness feeling and in that state of hopelessness. Why is it that over the years our lives are like a roller coaster? Have you ever noticed that? You have really good times at one point in life and that maybe a short time after that you find your whole world has turned upside down. You find yourself in a trial or a desperate situation and you think only yesterday or last week things were going so well. I know some people when good things happen in their life they think, uh oh, something bad is bound to happen now. <laughs> but our lives are like a roller coaster. Just when things are going well you find yourself in a wilderness. A couple of examples from the Bible. We're all familiar with the story of the Exodus. Back in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, when God rescued his chosen people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And we all know the story. Many of us have seen the movie when it comes on TV, you know, around springtime, uh, the Ten Commandments, where God miraculously brings his people out of slavery in Egypt with many miracles. He parts the Red Sea so that they can walk through dry shod. He protects them from the Egyptian armies. I mean, one of the greatest times in the history of the people of Israel. But what happened shortly after that? Moses goes up in the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and here the people turn to idolatry that quick. And Moses comes down and they're worshiping a golden calf well, unfortunately, because of that, Israel ends up in a wilderness. They end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. How their lives turned around so quickly. We all know the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And such a tremendous, miraculous 
thing happens. As Jesus is being baptized, Luke describes the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove. And he also describes the voice of God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. So a tremendous statement by God. I'm sure Jesus felt wonderful when that happened. But what happened in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1? Immediately after that, Jesus is taken to the wilderness. He's led to the wilderness, as it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. So what a, a terrible tough confrontation between Jesus and Satan himself. And we know that Jesus came to earth to live a perfect life on our behalf, and the pressure was on. He could not sin. And in spite of Satan's strongest temptations, Jesus withstood that. But again, he had to dwell for 40 days, being tempted powerfully by Satan in the midst of a fast, 40-day fast. So you see how quickly his life changed. He goes from the mountaintop to the wilderness, just as ancient Israel did. And sometimes that happens to us. Things seem to be going fine. And all of a sudden, all it takes is a phone call or a report from the doctor's office or, you know, whatever. And our lives can become a wilderness as well. But remember this, that when you find yourself in the wilderness, and you will in your life, this is a time, this is an opportunity to draw closer to God and to learn to depend on Him. So a wilderness experience can be a positive thing. It doesn't always feel like a positive thing. You know, we're concerned, we have a certain amount of anxiety, we wonder when is this going to end, when is life going to turn back to normal? But don't forget, that it's a perfect opportunity. God has to bring us out of the day-to-day -day life, and he has to bring us to a special place where we can meet him, and we can be blessed by him. I want to turn to one example that we're going to look at in detail. First Kings chapter 18. Let's turn back to the Old Testament here. First Kings chapter 18. We'll see the example of the prophet Elijah of the Old Testament and how his life turned around. He went from a tremendous, uplifting experience with God to going into the wilderness. And we'll see how God dealt with him in the wilderness. We're looking at 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 16. At this time, the king Ahab was... A not a good representation of God. He was uh, against God in so many ways. He was leading the country astray. And here was prophet Elijah doing his best to stand up for God in the midst of the whole country turning from God because of the, the uh, bad leadership on the part of the king. And here in this case, there's a showdown between Elijah the prophet and the pagan prophets as well. So uh, we read about this showdown in 
and I won't go through all of it, but in 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? So imagine this king in a bad attitude and worshiping pagan gods himself. He calls the prophet Elijah a troubler of Israel. Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals, the, the false gods. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled all of these false prophets, the pagan prophets on Mount Carmel. And uh, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let them choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So Elijah says, okay, we'll have a test. Who's worshiping the right God? So they get a bull cut up in pieces, put it on an altar, but they don't set fire to it. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal, the, the pagan god, from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. So they wanted their God to set fire to this offering, this bull. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response and no one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two amounts of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill far, four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So I'm going to make my test even harder. Your God could not call fire down upon your altar with your animal on it. I'm going to ask God to call down fire on my offering to God. And to make it tough for him, I'm going to pour water all over the whole thing. So it'll be harder to light fire to. And once they did that, he said, do it again, verse 34. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. 
At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So what a tremendous display of God's power. God blessed Elijah and blessed his prayer, and all of the people were shown who the true God is. So you know what? Elijah was on the top of the mountain at that point. But shortly after that, he enters into a wilderness. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 1. So Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Jezebel threatens Elijah's life. And what does Elijah do? Well, after this spectacular demonstration of God's power and proof that he truly is a prophet of God, it says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So how quickly he goes from being God's number one prophet, and it's proven by a tremendous miracle, and now all of a sudden he runs for his life, and he prays to God and said, Lord, I've had it. I just can't take it anymore. All of this stress, all of this anxiety. So if this happened to Elijah the prophet, a man who had experienced the presence of God, who fought with bravery and boldness, who called down fire from heaven and raised a boy from the dead elsewhere in the Old Testament scripture, it can happen to you. We can get ourselves into situations where we, we become depressed and discouraged, where we say to God, Father, I've had enough. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I don't have the strength. I'm, I'm burned out. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I did the best I can, and it just isn't enough. And you know, that can be a complaint amongst Christians today. Uh, they're just tired. They've not come into church anymore. They've burned themselves out. But it's not that they're physically tired, because if you're physically tired and you take a nap, that'll solve the problem. You're not in need of physical rest. You're in need of spiritual replenishment, and that only God can provide. You're spiritually depleted. You need an encounter with the very real and very holy presence of God an intimate moment where you experience the grace, the goodness, the loving kindness, and the mercy of the presence of God. And you know, that's what happens sometimes when we find ourselves in a wilderness. Nothing happens in our life that God doesn't know about in advance. 
And sometimes he plans out certain circumstances for us to be in. Sometimes we're involved in bringing it upon ourselves. For example, if we're in financial uh, wilderness, maybe it's because we've overspent. We've used the credit card foolishly and we find ourselves tens of thousand dollars in debt. Or sometimes it's just out of the blue and we had nothing to do with it. We come in contact with somebody who has COVID. We didn't know about it. All of a sudden now we've got COVID. Let's turn to Psalm 23. We're all going to face situations like that in our life. And when it happens, you can go two routes. You can go the route Elijah went, feel sorry for yourself, blame God, you know, ask him to take our lives because we're, we're done, we're, we're finished, we can't take it anymore. Or you can go a, a different route. But notice what God encourages us with in Psalm 23, of course, we know the Good Shepherd Psalm. David wrote this, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. See, he's the only one who can do that. We can try to restore our health by exercising and eating right and getting enough sleep. But when our soul needs to be restored, only God can provide that help. But David says, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So you're not just physically tired and burned out. You need the restorative grace of God. And that's what God provides for us in our time of need. So when you are in a wilderness situation in your life, whether it's a health problem, a financial problem, a relationship problem, a marriage problem, a work problem, God is there ready to help restore our soul. So we need to seek him. We need to know that he is our refuge. He is our rock, as we sang a little bit earlier. He's the one we depend on. He's the one that we have to come to, especially in our time of needs. Let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 19. And look a little bit further as to what happens to Elijah here. 1 Kings 19 now in verse 5. So then Elijah lays down under the tree and falls asleep. So sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest in the presence of God. And that's what Elijah does here. Just take a breather and let God restore your soul. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So, you know, a couple of months ago, we had a series of sermons on angels and the stuff that they do. I forgot to mention that they can cook too. <laughs> because this angel provides food and drink here for Elijah. The angel of the Lord came back a second time. Okay, so once wasn't enough. The angel came a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and, and spent the night. 
So sometimes you don't get the point the first time, so God comes back a second time and a third time because the presence of God continues to pursue you, especially when you need help and you're in that wilderness. So the angel asks him, you know, what are you doing here? You're trying to run away from God. What do you think you're doing? So uh, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So he's in a spiritual wilderness. He's hurting. His need is so great that he can't see beyond his own need. So God meets him in his deepest need and ministers to him in his moment of vulnerability. He brings healing in the midst of hurt. So as I said, our time of hurt and our wilderness experience is actually a gift for us if we realize it because that's when God draws closest to us. He's always close to us, but I think he comes even closer when he sees us suffering and when he sees us in need. So verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So God could have placed himself in any of those powerful physical demonstrations. A, a wind like a hurricane. And we've all seen the power of hurricanes down in Florida or wherever. He could have placed himself in the earthquake, but he didn't. He could have placed himself in a fire, but he didn't. And we've all seen the power of fires when we look at the West and all the, the fires that they've battled out there now for years. But God came to him in a gentle voice. So what I want to say to you is this. When you're in the midst of a wilderness situation and you're struggling, you're hurting, you're crying, you're, you're just wondering what is happening and why has all this happened? And doesn't God care? And, and if I'm a child of God, how can God allow this to happen to me? God comes to you. He makes his presence known, presence known in a whisper in a quiet voice. That's where God is found. And I can, I can uh, share my experience with you. As you all know, a year and a half ago, Mary and I went through a very difficult time when God decided to take our son from us. And it was very difficult for both of us emotionally and, and in many different respects. And, you know, we prayed the prayers weren't answered in the way that we wanted them to be answered, but they were answered according to God's will, which is his perfect will, as the, the Bible describes it. But at the time, we had questions in our mind. We had doubts. We were wondering why. Why didn't God uh, restore him and heal our son? And you know what? 
the answer didn't come in a big demonstration of some kind. We didn't know what to expect. How was God going to answer this? How was God going to put us at ease and, and help us to move on with our lives? But I remember distinctly that God spoke to us, not in an audible voice, but I know that God reminded me time and time again of his promises. He reminded me of the resurrection from the dead. He reminded me of what Jesus said, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you when we wondered, you know, where our son is right now. And, and uh, you know, he reminded us of the uh, scriptures that talk about how when we die, we commit our spirit to God and somehow we go to dwell with him in a different dimension somehow. Our body may die, but, you know, our, our spirit goes to be with the Father. And everything he reminded me of was very comforting. And it wasn't easy, and it took time. But God spoke to me, if you will, in a soft voice. In a, he was putting thoughts in my mind, thoughts of reassurance, thoughts of comfort. And he said to me, you know, John, all those things that you've preached over the years to the people about, you know, death and what happens after death, this is becoming very real to you now. So just remember all the things that you've taught. Remember all that the scripture says. And the reason God whispers is because he's close. He's very close by to each and every one of us. He doesn't have to shout. He doesn't have to do big demonstrations, miraculous things. He can if he needs to and he wants to. But you're going to find that when you're in your wilderness situation, God's voice is going to be soft. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be gentle. And the reason he doesn't have to raise his voice is because he's not far away. He's very close to you and he draws even closer when you're in the wilderness. What does he say to you? He says, you're my beloved child. I will never leave you or forsake you. I've been with you every single moment and I love you more than you can imagine. When you hurt, I hurt with you. I'm with you in the wilderness. I love you and I am for you. I care for you so much that I sent my son Jesus. Now my spirit dwells in you and I am working in your life. You are valuable to me and I am always close. So are you in a wilderness right now? I want to turn back to Psalm 34. It's hard to be in a wilderness. You know, we all ask questions, Lord, why did this happen? It could be a car accident. It could be a sickness. It could be the death of a family member or a loved one, whatever the case may be. Notice what uh, David says in Psalm 34 in verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, how are you going to know that that verse is true unless you experience that? There are going to be times in our lives when we're brokenhearted. And there are going to be times in our lives where our spirit is crushed. And unless you actually experience something like that, you're not going to know that God is close at that time. Back here to Psalm 23, picking it up in verse 4. You know, David, <laughs> the reason David wrote 
about this subject in the Psalms is because his life was at times a disaster. When you read the story of his life and all that he went through, even as king of Israel, and all that trouble he had with his family members and the sins that he committed, so much like us, okay, he experienced it. And that's why he said in Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, okay, if you have cancer, you may be facing death. And we've had some people experience that. Even some of the other, uh, you know, situations that I mentioned, heart problems, COVID, all of those things. Even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. As I'm about to enter into that hospital and the surgery, the operating room, Lord, I know you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the shepherd's staff, the one with the hook on the top, the shepherd carried that because if you fell in a pit, if you were one of the sheep and fell in a pit, he reached down this staff and hooked you with it and lift you literally out of the, the muck and the mire or the water that you fell into. And the rod the uh, shepherd used as a weapon against any wolves, bears, whatever attacked the flock. So knowing that God has those things, not necessarily a literal staff and rod, but he has the power and the wherewithal to rescue us from any situation we get ourselves in, and he's also there to protect us. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And one last scripture, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. There's no way or there's nowhere that you can end up and God doesn't know where you are and what, what you've got yourself into. He can rescue us out of any situation. And notice what he says here in uh, Psalm 139 and verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? David asks God. Where can I flee from your presence? Is it possible to get away from God, to hide someplace and he doesn't know where you are? The answer is no. <laughs> if I go up to the heavens, you are there. You know, when the astronauts are now circling in the space station, God's up there with them. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You know, West Virginia, the coal miners, God's down there with them. No matter how many thousands of feet below the earth, uh, the surface of the earth they are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. So see... When you need it, God is holding your hand. He's guiding you along by holding your hand. That's how close he is. Your right hand will hold me fast. So where can you flee from the presence of God? Nowhere. God is so close, he can hold your hand. And again, why does God whisper? Because he's that close to you all the time. All the time. One day you'll discover that your wilderness is a gift to draw you into the presence of God. 
when you're wandering through the wilderness and you think no one understands, he understands and he cares and he is always good. So God is with us. Even though Jesus ascended back into heaven so long ago, he dwells in us and he is with us. He is ready to speak to us, to encourage us, to reassure us, to refresh us, to strengthen us, to provide everything that we need. And we will go through wildernesses in our lives of one sort or another. But remember, God will never leave us or forsake us. And he's there at the special times that we need him most. Let's pray.